Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Go Church, can we do this? Can we put our hands together and welcome everybody who's streaming, hanging out with us online today? Hey, we love and appreciate you guys. We're praying for you. So glad that you could connect with us online. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you know somebody that hates to wait? How many of you know a person like this? You hate to wait. You know somebody like this? Are you this person? Come on, let me see. I don't got all day, okay? It's Father's Day. We got grills. We got golf to watch. We got Formula One on. Come on. So look, I have plenty of patience because I have never used any up. I struggle occasionally slowing down, appreciating what's happening in the moment. Sometimes I want it. I want it now. And, you know, our society adapts to this. So how many of you remember when Amazon did something crazy and was like, let's go prime. We're going to do Amazon Prime in two days. Do you remember this? It was like 30 years ago. So when it happened, it was like, wow, it's like two days so fast, right? So then this happens for a while, and then we're like, okay, that's not fast. That's slow. Two days? It's taking forever. Two days? Okay, so Amazon's like, well, all right, all right. We'll go Amazon now. And it's like, okay, now, under an hour, right? Boom, send it. And after a while, it's like, it's not cutting it. Now it's like we're in the shower, running out of shampoo, hit the phone, and it's like, where is it? Right now, where is the drone? Where is the shampoo I need right now, in this moment, flying in my house? We want stuff. We want it now. It's just kind of how things are wired. I can be a little bit impatient. I've got to watch my attitude. I've seen this in my kids, too. Now, my kiddos, Sydney, Ethan, and Levi, they just got back from my parents' house, so it was fun for them and fun for us. While they were gone, our boys decided to do something, I dare say, revolutionary. (laughs) Considering our times and our culture and the society of the youth of today, they decided to leave their phones at our house. They went analog to my parents' house. My mom and dad were very happy about this. And it was off to a pretty good start. One of the challenges, though, is with my son, Ethan. Now, Ethan... He has a girl who is also a friend. We may call her a girlfriend. And so this is a very interesting stage of daddom to me, you know, like the girlfriends thing are happening now, and now they're about to drive. So I'll be praying for all of you. They're pretty good drivers, but I'll be praying for you. So Ethan is talking to me about being gone so long from being able to text his girlfriend, you know? It's like his girlfriend, they text a few times a day, a few hundred times a day. They text back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And so he's like, Dad, how am I going to talk to my girlfriend while I'm gone? I'm like, son, let me introduce you to something called the United States Postal Service. Let me tell you about an envelope. You use pieces of paper. It's made from trees. You use a pen or a pencil to fill it out. So we're going through actually how to address the envelope. Then we reach into the drawer to grab what goes in the top corner. Students, do you know? Top right corner, what is it? It's a stamp. Yes, and how is it delivered? It is delivered by horseback. That is what happens. (laughs) So I'm talking to Ethan about all this. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house. You're going to write this letter. She's going to think it's so cool. It's like, okay, okay, I'm going to write the letter. And so we're talking about the letter. And I must say, Ethan might be a chip off the old romantic block. 
Because while he was at his grandma and grandpa's house, he wrote said letter, and then he YouTubed how to fold said letter into the shape of a heart, and he even gave it a little mist of axe spray. <laughs> and he mailed that off. He's like, Dad, how long do you think it would take like, to get there if I mail it from Oklahoma? I'm like, I don't know, probably about three days or so. He's like, three days? I mean, three days is a long time, right? Well past Amazon Prime. How many of you, sometimes in your life, have struggled waiting for something? Can I see a hand? You wanted something to happen, and it just seems like it is taking forever. Forever. Taking so, so long. I struggle waiting, and I've had to wait for certain things in my life. I've had to wait for even godly things. I've had to wait on the direction of God, clarity of God, what to do. I remember I was a sophomore at the University of Oklahoma and I'm in business school. I feel like God calls me into ministry full-time that year. I felt like God dropped just a hint of what might happen in the future. I felt like at some point I would come back and direct student ministry there at the University of Oklahoma and help reach students. Well, still had two years of school left, had to do that. Then got married, then worked for about six months, then did a year-long internship, and then Becky and I credentialing in ministry, moved down to Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge there five, six years, have all of our kids. It was 10 years to the semester where I felt like God had called me into ministry that we were walking in the vision that I had felt a decade before. Was that time wasted? Absolutely not. But sometimes God will give you a glimpse of things that are going to happen in the future, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. So what do you do when you feel like you're called into ministry, but then you've got to finish school? You feel like God wants you to start a new thing, but you're in the middle of a career right now. God might want you to be a parent one day, but that day doesn't start tomorrow. Maybe you need to be married for a little while. Think about the timing of God today. Waiting, are you willing to wait? What do you feel like when you have to wait? Do you get frustrated? Do you get mad? Do you get silent with God? Do you go off? Do you ignore other people? Do you whine? How do you respond to the tension of waiting? What happens to your faith? Does it get bigger? Does it get smaller? We're going to look at a story today about a, name, a man named Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Use the back of the throat. Come here. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Almost German. Try to speak German with that. Habakkuk. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. Now, a prophet's job, we talked about this last week, hear things from God, tell it to the people, or represent people to God. Habakkuk is upset. He's upset about the nation of Israel. They had not been making good decisions. They had not been making godly choices. They had become a little bit evil and vile. He's frustrated about this as a prophet, a man of God. So he's not happy. And so he's praying and asking God about this. And then God gives him an answer to this that he's not happy with. He's double unhappy. And he's having to wait. And he doesn't like it. So as we watch this video, I want you to think about how do you respond when you have to wait? How would you respond if God answered your prayer but not in the way that you wanted? How would you feel about that? Let's watch and learn together. The book of the prophet Habakkuk. 
He lived during the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom, and it was a time of injustice and idolatry. He saw the rising threat of Babylon on the horizon, and that was not good news for anybody. But unlike the other prophets, Habakkuk does not accuse Israel. He doesn't even speak on God's behalf to the people. Rather, all of his words are addressed personally to God. And the book tells about Habakkuk's personal struggle, his journey of trying to believe that God is good when there is so much evil and tragedy in the world. And so Habakkuk's words are actually poems of lament, and they're very similar to the laments that you find in the book of Psalms. The poet lodges a complaint and then draws God's attention to suffering or injustice in the world, demanding that God do something. And knowing about this lament form, it's actually the key to understanding the design and message of this short book. Chapters 1 and 2 are framed as a back-and-forth argument between Habakkuk and God. And the prophet lodges two complaints to which God offers two responses. His first complaint is that life in Israel has become horrible. The Torah is neglected, resulting in violence and injustice, and it's all being tolerated by Israel's corrupt leaders. And Habakkuk, he's crying out, asking God to do something, but nothing seems to change. But then all of a sudden, God responds. He says that he's very aware of the corruption of his own people, Israel, and that he's summoning the armies of Babylon to bring down his justice on Israel. And very similar to the message of Micah or Isaiah, God says he will use this terrifying empire to devour Israel because of their injustice and evil. But Habakkuk has a problem with this answer, and so he offers his second complaint. He says Babylon is even worse than Israel. They're more corrupt, they're more violent, they've deified their own military power, they treat humans like animals, gathering them up like fish in a net, he says. They devour nations and people groups in order to build their own empire. And so Habakkuk says, how can you, a holy good God, use such corrupt nations as your instruments in history? He demands an explanation. In fact, he depicts himself as a watchman on the city walls waiting for God's response, which eventually comes. God tells Habakkuk to get out some tablets and chisel and write down what he sees and hears. It's a vision about an appointed time in the future, that even though it may seem slow in coming, it will eventually come. In fact, God says that the righteous person will live by their faith in this hope and vision. So what is this divine promise that Habakkuk is supposed to write down? It's that God will bring Babylon down. God says that the violence and oppression of the nations creates this never-ending cycle of revenge and that God will use this cycle to bring about the rise and fall of nations. And the fact that God might for a time use a corrupt nation like Babylon does not mean that he endorses everything that they do. He holds all nations accountable to his justice. And so Babylon will fall along with any other nation that acts like them. God's promise is then elaborated by a series of five woes that describe the kinds of oppression and injustice that's perpetrated by nations like Babylon. The first two target unjust economic practices, like how wealthy people will charge ridiculous interest just to keep poor people in debt, and so they build their wealth through crooked means. The third woe is a critique of slave labor, treating humans like animals and threatening them with violence if they don't produce. The fourth woe targets the abuse of alcohol by irresponsible leaders. While people are suffering under their bad leadership, they're partying and wasting their money on sex and booze, 
And the last woe exposes the idolatry, the engine that drives such nations. They have made money and power and national security into their gods, offering these allegiance at all costs. And so people become slaves to their own national empire. Now the practices described here aren't unique to Babylon, but that's part of the point. Given the human condition, most nations eventually become Babylon. And so this is how God's answer to Habakkuk in this book becomes God's answer to all later generations, to anyone who lives in a world ruled by other Babylons. But it leaves the question hanging. Is God going to let this cycle, the rise and fall of Babylon-like empires, go on forever? And that question is what chapter 3 is about. We're told that this is a prayer of Habakkuk, and it begins by Habakkuk pleading with God to act now in the present like he has in the past in bringing down corrupt nations. And what follows is a very ancient poem. It first describes a powerful, terrifying appearance of God. It's very similar to the opening poems of Micah and Nahum, and similar to the appearance of God at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. There's cloud and fire and earthquake. When the Creator shows up to confront human evil, everybody will be paying attention. Habakkuk then goes on to describe this future defeat of evil as a future exodus. So just like God came as a warrior and he split the sea in his battle against Pharaoh, Habakkuk says that God will once more bring his judgment down on the head of the evil house. So Pharaoh, like Babylon, has become here an archetype of violent human nations. But at the same time, we're told that when God confronts evil, he will save his people and his anointed one. It's a reference to the king from the line of David. And so in this poem, the Exodus story of the past has become an image of the future Exodus God will perform. He will once again defeat evil and bring down the pharaohs and the Babylons of this world. He'll bring justice to all people and rescue the oppressed and the innocent. And it's this hope that enables Habakkuk to conclude the book with hopeful praise. Even if the world's falling apart with food shortage or drought or war or whatever, he will choose trust and joy in the covenant promises of God. And so Habakkuk, by the end of this book, becomes a shining example of how the righteous live by faith. Habakkuk recognizes just how dark and chaotic the world and our lives can become, and he invites us into a journey of faith, of trusting that God loves this world more than we do, and that he will one day deal with its evil. And that's what the book of Habakkuk is all about what it's all about. Everybody grab your communication card, flip it right over to the back, write this on the top. I can't have God's promise without his process. I can't have God's promise without his process. Habakkuk was upset about the timing of this process. He was upset that God was going to use the Babylonians at all. He was not happy. If you have ever had tension with timing or what God was up to in your life, you have something in common with an Old Testament prophet. In the middle of this chaos, I think that we learn some amazing things about ourselves, about our faith. Habakkuk, look at this, chapter 1, verse 13. Habakkuk is talking to the Lord. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why? Why then? Look at this. This is in the Bible. This Old Testament prophet is questioning. Like, why? Why is it this way? Why does it have to be this way? 
you've ever had the tension of why, you are not alone. You see it right here in the Bible. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? The question of why. Habakkuk, like us, he wanted the promise of God or the justice of God or the direction of God to happen. But he was not super happy about the process in which God was going to bring it about. Have you ever felt that in your life? Like you want the end result, but you don't want the process. You want to have a six-pack for your six-pack for your six-pack, but you can't stop eating Cheez-Its. Doritos. For me, Reese's peanut butter cups. Like you want the end result, but you don't want the process. You want to be cut up lean, but you don't want to sweat. You want to really excel in the marketplace or in your business, but you don't want to put in the work. You want to rise to the top, but you don't want to do the extra. You want to be a good parent, but you'd rather just let them look at a screen instead of sitting down and reading to them. Just easier. You don't want to put in the hard work. You want to get married, but you don't want to have a successful marriage because that takes work. Getting married is the easy part. Learning how to be a godly husband and wife, that's a different endeavor altogether. The process, the process, the process. So many times we want the mountaintop experience, the result, but we want to skip all the steps it takes to get there. When I think about mountaintop experiences, it's not worthless, but to me, the mountaintop experiences, they serve to remind me of the value of the journey. I remember each painful step. I remember the training. I remember the weight that we carried. I remember getting in shape for something. And when I'm on the top looking down, I'm remembering all of that. And without it, never would have been on the top. But we discount the journey so much. Habakkuk was not excited about the journey God had for him and the children of Israel. So many times in life, I find that God works just like he did my sophomore year in college. God called me into ministry my sophomore year. God gave me enough information to take the next step, but he didn't give me information for 30 steps in a row. He didn't upload the Google Doc and say, here it is, step by step, sub-bullet, 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 all the little things you're going to be doing over the next 7, 8, 9, 10 years until you end up back here. But he was always faithful to show me the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. Habakkuk was not happy about this Babylonian next step. Could it be that sometimes in your life, some of the steps that God wants you to take, your selfishness or your flesh is not happy about it? Oh, it's going to be long hours? My flesh doesn't like that. Raising kids just isn't easy? My flesh might not like that, especially when you're up like 30 nights in a row with a young child. You're like, this is not the Lord's will. Can I take this baby back? Is there a return policy? I got the receipt. Got lots of receipts. Sometimes the best things in life are the hardest things in life. But sometimes we think because they're hard, it's not God. Because surely if it's God, it'd be easy or it'd be cake. You don't see that supported in the Bible. Every single significant thing that you see in the Bible comes through much effort, much challenge, 
much opposition. In fact, Jesus promises opposition and persecution. So never to be surprised by it, but almost be willing to expect it. There's going to be pushback. That's all right. Process might be hard. That's okay. Your circumstances might change, but God's character never changes. So the question is, what do you really have your hope in? Perfect son circumstances or in an unchanging father? Really? Because could it be that when everything is good and the market's up and your hobbies are working and gas isn't $10 a gallon, that all of a sudden God's amazing. God's a provider. So awesome to follow Jesus. But when it gets hard, you start doubting. You start getting mad. You start getting frustrated. You start getting short. You start wondering, God, where are you? Is your faith more tied to circumstances than it is to the character of your father? We learned so many lessons from Habakkuk, and I want to give you three big actions today. Write this down. Three things we can do when we are struggling with doubt. I see Habakkuk struggling to believe in certain areas of his life. These are three things that we see him do, three things that I think we can do. The first one is this. Write this down. I will watch. Everyone say watch. Everybody say watch. I will watch. Look what Habakkuk says, chapter 2. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see. What's a hard word? Wait to see what the Lord says. I will watch. I think this is a posture. Not just literally watching, but a posture, almost an attitude of life. When we look down, what do we see? We see the realities of this world, right? We see the stresses. We see the problems, right? It's easy to see the problems in your spouse, right? Forget about all the good things. Easy to see the problem. Didn't make coffee again. Didn't make it exactly how I would make it. Problem. You see the things that cause you anxiety. You see the problems at work. You see the problems in traffic. You see the problems in the economy. You see the problems politically. You look down, down, down. Am I saying that we should ignore these things? No way. But what has our attention? Have we developed the spiritual maturity to be able to look down, recognize the challenge, recognize the stress, recognize an anxiety, but also look up to see these things through the lens of the character of our Father. To look up and to say, you know what? It might be bad here, but God is still good. Somebody may have been unfaithful in my life, but God is still faithful. I wanna encourage you, things might change. Things will change here, but God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you can trust him. Do you believe it, Go Church? He is worthy and deserving of trust. So you should be asking yourself, what are you really trusting? Are you trusting what you can make? Are you trusting what you have saved up? Are you trusting your intelligence and where your program is and what you're about to do next with your education? Are you trusting your so-called super strong relationship? What are you placing your trust in? Habakkuk had his trust in God, and he was saying, I am willing to look up. 
I think we should do both. Not to be naive and to be these people that, oh, nothing bad ever happens. If you really believe God, nothing bad will happen to you. I don't think that's theologically correct. But if our circumstances are rocking our faith, maybe we have our faith in the wrong thing. Second thing, write this down. I will write. It's very ironic. Write this down. I will write. Habakkuk chapter 2 says this, the Lord talking to Habakkuk. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. He did not mean iPads. It's dad joke number one on Father's Day. Write it down on tablets, stone tablets. I think God told him to write it down because I think as a people, we tend to forget. It's easy to forget. Easy to forget. Easy to forget how much you love someone. If you've been married to someone, say, oh, I don't know, 22 years, named Becky. You've known her for 32 years. You've made three little human beings. You've done all kinds of stuff in ministry. It's still easy to forget that and get upset and fight about a stupid thing. Like something that doesn't matter at all. Fight about a kitchen, fight about dishes, fight about a coffee thing, fight about a parking space. Why'd you park there? Why would you park there? It's like, babe, I park all the time by myself, and I never argue with myself. It's never a problem until you're with me in the car. Why'd you park there? Why did you run over that person? Because they did not get out of the way. It's not my fault. You can fight about stupid stuff. You forget things. So God is like, write this down. Now, I don't want you to think that your pastor is some copious journaler. I don't journal a lot. Here's kind of my style. I have like six journals that I've started for about 20 pages and then stopped. And then like, I'm going to do it again. So I'll buy another, I'm not going to, I'll just buy another journal. I'll reboot about 20 pages and then stop. I got like six of these. So this is kind of my style. I will journal when things are really, really good or really, really bad. There's not a lot in between, but you do see, man, I'm praying for this. And if there's an answer to that prayer, it's probably in there. So this is right out of my journal from the very beginning. So I had taken a trip to Denver and I'm sitting in Starbucks right over here in Northfield. Seven years ago, the service was as slow as it is now. Same things don't change. God's character and the speed of service over there at that Starbucks. If you're watching today, I got nothing but love for you, but y'all can speed up. That's all I'm saying. It's the one location. You can speed up. I believe in you. I'm over there, and it's taking a while. I got time to journal. So I'm writing, writing and waiting, waiting and writing. And this is literally from my journal. This drawing is to scale. I'm like, God, please provide. Is this where you want Go Church to be? Back then, it was called Stapleton before it was renamed to Central Park. Is this where you want me to go? Is this where you want us to move our family? Is this the next thing? This was a big journal entry for me, thinking about moving from things that are known, that are predictable, that are providing income, that's a known quantity, stepping into something I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if it's going to be successful. I don't know. But God hasn't called us to be successful God has called us to be obedient. It's not up to you whether it's successful or not successful. You don't choose to obey or not obey based on the probability of how successful it may or may not be. God is not a SWOT analysis. I'm going to obey 
and follow God and look what God has done. God has built, God has done, God has transformed, God has done a great thing. We've just tried to be obedient with the next step. Write it down. So what are you thinking about right now? Maybe it's the next move in education. Write it down. God, is this it? Are you really wanting me to go back, get an MBA? I'm old. I don't know if this brain can learn anymore. You want me to go back? I don't know if I have time for this. I've got a job. I've got kids. Is this what you want? Do you want me to stop this job and start this thing? Do you really want me to be a social media influencer? Nobody ever prays about that, right? It's always the will of God. Of course he does. I mean, it's in the Bible. Make followers. Just need followers, man. That's it. Dad joke number three. I'm rolling, baby. Write it down. The last thing. This is a tough one. I will wait. Everybody go, mmm. Mmm. I will wait. Don't like it. I don't like it. God says this to Habakkuk chapter 2. Hear a modern, of, a modern version of this being spoken to your heart today. But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly. Steadily. Surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous person will live by faith. It doesn't matter how many PhDs you have. How many doctorates of ministry you might have, how many research projects you've done, how high your IQ is. You will never out-educate or out-earn or out-experience your need for faith. Does that mean that our faith is without reason? Absolutely not. I believe there are amazing, strong science answers, math answers, answers to hard questions, but that's not the reason and the foundation of my belief. It's a part of it, but it's not why. It still requires faith, which means you will not always know everything about everything all the time. And to demand such a thing is almost saying, I should be like God, and I will not follow you until you make me like you. Ask the devil how that went. Not good. Is the size of our ego eclipsing the size of our faith? Is it wrong to ask questions? No. Just make sure you're asking the right ones. I want you to be encouraged by this today, Go Church. If you look around and what you see is perplexing, it was like that for Habakkuk. If you look around, and what you see is spiritually annoying. I think that's how Habakkuk felt. Like, seriously? The Babylonians, those people are horrible. Seriously, you're going to use Patriot fans to do something here in Denver? Never! It's ungodly. You look around, and your circumstances say to you, God is not big enough. God is not strong enough. God doesn't care about you. He doesn't know your story. 
you're forgotten. If that's what your circumstances are screaming at you, just like they were for Habakkuk, do what he did. He lifted his eyes up and he reminded himself that yes, circumstances change, but the character of my father does not change. The nature and the character of your father on Father's Day. Remember this. Your father, your real father, that's one thing that we all have in common. We all have the same dad. Our father, defined by love. He is a good God. Your circumstances might not be good. He's a good God. He's patient. He's worthy of trust. He is slow to anger. He is just. Full of compassion. So when your circumstances are rocking your life, this is what I do. I lean on the nature and the character of God. And I say, I might not understand all of this right now, but I know my God is still good. Life is life, and God is good. And God will get me through this. Fathers today, I want you to hear a challenge. Imagine the next 365 days, a year from now, you come back to Go Church a year from now. And over that last 365 days, you have gone after God harder than you've gone after anything in your life. Harder than advanced education, harder than research, harder than work, harder than that next thing, harder than building a team. Put it all together. You're going after God harder than that. You know what's going to start happening? You're going to start reflecting and becoming more and more like your father. What if your spouse, your wife, your kids noticed the same things that we notice today about our father? You say, man, babe, over the last year, I've seen more love. You used to fly off the handle. But man, we've got to really work on your nerve to get you fired up. Now, you are slow to get mad. That wasn't true a year ago. We've seen such integrity. We've seen compassion in you. And it's not you trying to be a better you. It's you being closer to your ultimate heavenly father. His character coming through your character. Doing something in you so that he can do something through you. Fall in love with him, it'll change your family. Dads, lead your family. And this is how. To love your wife and to love your family as Christ loved the church. He gave it all. Sacrifice. Lead by and through sacrifice. It's not about what you want all the time. It's about what they need, what they want. Happens over time. And if you are soft in the hands of God, he will mold you. He will shape you into the father, into the leader that he wants you to be. It's not about how good you are. It's about how great he is. Come on, let's pray. God, thank you for giving us a shot. Thank you that in the middle of our circumstances, your character remains the same. God, our faith is in you today. Our faith is not in the economy. It's not in politics. It's not in the bank account. It's not in investment accounts. Our faith is in you. And we look to your nature and we look to your character. We look to you. The one is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we say, God, we need you. We love you. As your children, we say this, God. We declare it today on this Father's Day. God, I pray for every dad in the house. I pray that you would help every dad in the house, every dad watching today, 
over the next 365 days to submit themselves at a new level to your lordship and your leadership. And as they submit to you, that you would strengthen them, that in their weakness, your strength would be made perfect, that their families would grow, that their marriages would grow, that legacy would start to be built, a godly legacy for the next generation and the next generation. God, faith is caught before it's taught. Help us as dads to be on fire for you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to hear me. Jesus modeled the way in his love. He sacrificed everything that he had to give, his life for you and for me. He paid the price for our sin with his life. He died on the cross. They peeled his dead body off of that cross and they put him into a tomb for one day, two days. But on the third day, that was the game changer. On the third day, Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and he's alive and he has a plan and a purpose for your life today. That's for you to know him. Not to know some things about him, not to go to church every once in a while, but to know and to be submitted to him in totality as Lord and leader of your life. Who's running your life, you or him? I want to give you an opportunity today to pray a prayer of faith. To say today that you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ. You're going to follow him the rest of your days. And if you want to do it, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now out loud. Pray this. Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. I'm making you the Lord and the leader of my life. And I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.